Welcome to Christmas. <laughs> uh, thank you to all of those who uh, showed up yesterday to help uh, decorate here. Um, Christmas is my favorite time of year. I trust that it's probably most, uh, most of your favorite time of year as well. And there's always something special about this time um, leading up to celebrating Christmas. In fact, the season, the, the season right before Christmas. Did you know? Did you know this? Like, in terms of like the church calendar, Christmas doesn't start until Christmas. Did you know that? Like, that's why we sing like the. That's why we talk about the twelve days of Christmas because Christmas starts on Christmas Day, right? And then the time leading up to Christmas is a period of time that we call Advent, and um, it, Advent has as its focus a period of the, the word advent at, literally means coming and it's meant to it's meant to denote or plant inside of us this sense of anticipation and longing and expectation for the coming of the savior and so the period leading up to Christmas, this Advent period, is, is meant to progressively build in us a renewed expectation for the coming of our Savior, for the coming of Jesus. I liken it um, somewhat to... Um, I liken it somewhat to those times where like maybe you have kids and you you do like the all right at the dinner table let's see who can hold let's see who can hold their breath the longest right and so you all take this big deep breath and I thought about actually doing a hold your breath challenge this morning, but I thought like that the awkward silence of like, uh, you know, like two minutes would just be a little bit too awkward, right? Um, but, um, but, you know, Advent is like that period of time where all of creation, all of life is holding their breath, right? Like, like even like when you hurt yourself, like... And then there's this collective sigh of relief when resolution is brought to the table. Or as a, as a young child, do you remember? I, I do remember. I'm young enough. Some of you are too old, right, to, um, to remember when you couldn't sleep on Christmas Eve, Right? Like, but as a child, like, just not being able to fall asleep on Christmas Eve, like, so excited to get up the next morning and celebrate. And I'm, I'm young enough um, to remember not being able to sleep, right? Not being able to sleep and feeling so excited with, like, just this anticipation and expectation of what was happening the next morning. And, like, there was just this visceral sense of like, finally it is here. Advent. This period of time where we collectively recognize that all of creation holds its breath in expectation and anticipation for the mess of life uh, to be sorted out. To the, for the darkness of life to be illuminated with the light of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, if there feels like this sense of like building anticipation, building almost like a Holy Spirit pressure during the Advent season. That's, that's, um, 
that's intentional. Because we're building up to this moment of celebration where we say, Jesus is here. This Christmas season or this Advent season, we're going to be talking about, uh, talking about hope. And going to be playing off the line in the, um, the famous you know, Christmas song, O Holy Night, where the, the line says, uh, the, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Right? Where a world so weary uh, steps into a steps into the thrill of hope and rejoices with like this collective sigh of relief. I mean, I can only speak for myself. Maybe I'll speak for some of you when I say that the world feels especially weary. My heart feels especially weary. Sometimes your, your, your families may feel especially weary. You're like going to work, may feel especially weary. Just running the race, walking, walking the walk, being on the journey feels especially weary. And if there is anything that Advent will teach us, if there is anything that Advent seeks to plant and birth in us, is that in the midst of weariness, right, hope is coming. Hope is coming. Now there is, there is much to say about hope. Much to say. What, what is hope? Because many of us may, may like, may um, respond to hope or think of hope in, in terms that are less than heavenly, right? Or less than spectacular on the scale that God would want us to think about what hope is. Because many of us use the word hope in kind of our everyday language about just like wishful thinking, right? Like, oh, I really hope it goes like this, right? I really hope that the Bills win tomorrow. They're playing San Francisco, so it's, it's a strong possibility, right? Um, I, really, I really hope that they, that they win tomorrow. It's like, a, it's like a declaration of wishful thinking. Oh, you know, I, I kind of hope that they do. They may, they may not, but like I, I hope or I wish that they are good or that they would win the Super Bowl or whatever, right? And so... Um, and so we, we, we need to define what it is we're talking about when we talk about hope in a biblical, spiritual, Jesus-like, what is hope in heaven like? Because hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is not just this sense of like, oh, well, I really hope it happens. Like it, it, de- it, it depends on... on on temporary, um, temporary conditions or circumstances. I really hope it happens. Hope is also not a, a blind optimism. Oh, well, you just have to, you just have to hope that, this is a, that there, it's not going to snow this winter, right? Just hope, right? Kind of this blind sense of like covering your eyes over to reality. That, that's not hope either. Hope is not wishful thinking. Biblical hope, spiritual hope, is also not a blind optimism in the face of reality. That's not what hope is at all. In fact, hope is so deeply woven into who God is and what He desires to be a part of our spiritual life that that Paul says that hope is a distinctive marker of the Christian life. Right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where Paul is going on his diatribe about love, right? Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. Then he gets to the end in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, and he says, These three remain. It's 
like the ultimate like trio of Christian virtue, right? Faith, then what? Hope and love. Of course, he goes on to say that the greatest of these is love, right? But when Paul, right, in the, like this magnum opus about the center of Christianity talks about love, he includes in it, right, like, hey, these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. That's pretty good company for hope to be in, right? And so it would stand to reason that hope lies outside of just a wishful thinking or just a blind optimism in the face of reality and has this deep-seated like rootedness in who God is in what God is all about not in what we're about not in what we do not in what we hope or think or wish but that hope is rooted and centered in God himself so here here is what we're going to Here's going to be our kind of, I guess you could say, our running definition or understanding of hope this Advent season and then into the the Christmas season. It's this. Hope, not wishful thinking, not blind optimism. Hope is the supreme confidence in the promises of God being fulfilled. Hope is a supreme, unshakable confidence that the promises of God will be fulfilled. It is a a confidence that what God says is as good as finished, even if we are waiting to see it fulfilled. Even if we are in a period of waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled or to come to fruition or to come to completion, we are supremely confident, without doubt, full of hope that we are just in the in-between the promise and the fulfillment. As an example, um, when we believe by faith in Jesus Christ, right? When we when we when we take hold of salvation, right? By by placing our our faith, our trust, our hope in Jesus Christ as Savior, we the you know the Christian language that we use is that is that we are then we are then saved right we have been saved jesus has saved us he is our messiah he is our lord he is our savior currently right now i am saved i have been cut free from the chains of sin from the power of sin from the penalty of sin by the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ, by the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life, I can walk with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, right? I can can act in the power and the Spirit of God, and I am patiently and hopefully, not wishfully, right? Hope-filled, hopefully, awaiting the moment where my salvation is fully realized in the coming of Jesus Christ. When sin has lost its final battle, when the war is over, you and I, right, we live in this hope-filled in-between This hope filled in between the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the patient and hope filled waiting, 
the return of Jesus Christ, which inaugurates, right, His reign forever. And so hope, in that sense, right, is not a well like, oh, I, uh, man, I, I really hope Jesus comes back. Like a wish, right? No, no, hope, Christian hope, biblical hope, ratified in heaven, hope is that the promise of God has been made, right? That all those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Well, hey, I'm walking around right now, Lord, feeling awfully weary, feeling awfully unsaved from the darkness of the world, feeling awfully like pressed against, buffeted by the waves of life. I could use some saving. Jesus is like, you have already been saved, right? I have saved you. Let your hope anchor you to the promise that will be fulfilled in time. And so what God says in Scripture is not that you should go about your life feeling doubtful, feeling like wondering, just wishing, like wishing upon a spiritual star that Jesus has indeed saved you. Right? You know that, that, that the promises of God are anchored in something much more significant, right, than just a wishful thinking of, oh, I really hope so. God goes so far to say, right, God so far to, goes so far to say, Scripture talks about how God actually, like, this is incredible, right? Um, when you go to the bank and you get a loan for... Let's say you go and get a loan for, um, well, you get a, a mortgage, right? The bank uses the home that you buy as what to guarantee collateral, right? So like they, they collateralize the loan to protect it, to protect their, their loan, right, against default so they can sell the house and regain their money. This is the incredible thing about um, God and about His promises, right? God, Scripture talks about how God uses His own character and reputation as the collateral to His promises. So, so God, God, God openly says, right, if my promise is not fulfilled, I will be deemed a liar. And guess what? I don't lie. So, so he says, the collateral on my promises being fulfilled in your life is my own character and reputation. A couple examples of this, so I know I'm not just making it up, right? Um, Titus chapter 1. Starting at verse 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Verse 2, a faith and knowledge, listen, listen, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, has promised before the beginning of time, and at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So like God brought the knowledge of salvation to light as a, as a, um, as a promise rooted in his own character. It's not the only time Scripture talks about God using his character as collateral. He uses it also in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, 
since there was no one greater, <laughs> you ever say, hey, I swear on my grandmother's grave, right? What are you saying when you say that? Like, hey, grandma's pretty special to me, so for me to swear on her grave means that, like, this is serious business. But the writer of the Hebrews is like, hey, um, God made a promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater, God doesn't have a great-grandma, right, that he swears on her grave, right? So God swears on himself. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. I am the collateral for this promise, God says. He told Abraham, I will surely bless you. I will give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Verse 16. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. But because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Listen, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Firm and secure. When God makes a promise, when God makes a promise and we are living in the in-between period of the promise being made, and the fulfillment of the promise. Hope is us tethering ourselves to the nature and character of a God who says, I will not lie. This will come to pass. Let, let my own goodness, let my own honesty, let my own promise be the thing that anchors your soul in the fulfillment of what is coming. It will come. It will happen. God does not leave us, though, in this in-between period without, like, I hesitate to use the term, like, throwing us a bone to make us understand that He promises, right? But, like, he does, not, he does not leave us in the in-between period between promise and fulfillment without any sense of like comfort that His promises will be fulfilled. Okay? Um, Paul, speaks, Paul speaks of like uh, of, of how God has given us a deposit on the fulfillment of a future promise. We'll look at two things here, okay? We'll look first at Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Where, where Paul speaks of um, hope being hope, another way in which hope is anchored and rooted in our souls is through, um, is through like a, a heavenly deposit that God gives us that, that solidifies the promise or, or keeps us like, keep our eyes focused on the fulfillment of the promise while we're walking in this in between time. And Paul says, um, speaking of the Gentiles, he says, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. Like this can be kind of like, you can get all, your head all messed up in the language here. But just take it for what it, like, don't get too confused here. What is, Paul says, um, there is a hope for glory, right? So he says there is, well, remember we said that, that hope is a supreme confidence that the promise of God is going to be fulfilled, right? So it's like, it, God promised something, I know because God promised, God said he was going to do it, I know he's going to do it. It's a supreme, I'm, I'm supremely confident in the promises of God being fulfilled, right? So let's say God has promised glory. God has promised salvation. God has promised eternity, right? What is the, what is the hope for that promise, Paul says? What is the supreme confidence that I have that glory will be revealed in my life because of salvation? Well, the supreme confidence, Paul says, is that God has given you the Spirit of Christ. That the, that the Spirit of God is in you. That when you, that when the Spirit of God works actively in your lives, that is a, that is a marker or evidence that the, that the glory of God is coming in your life. That's a deposit that God has placed in your life promising a future result. Now Paul says the, almost the exact same thing in uh, a few um, books back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. 13 and 14. Nope, that's not it. Well, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah, Ephesians 1, 13, 14. Okay, so listen. And you were also included in Christ. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Right? Now, having believed you were marked in Him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. God gives you His Holy Spirit to live within you as a deposit guaranteeing your redemption. It is the, it is the way in which God um, both, it says, marks you with His seal, but also guarantees your redemption. Well, God, I am living, I, I know that you say that I'm saved, but I don't, I don't, like, why can't you just save me now? Why don't you come now? Why are we waiting in this in-between? And God says, I have, I have marked you with my Holy Spirit. I have sealed your salvation. The Holy Spirit in you is a deposit guaranteeing your redemption. It is, it is, as, it is as good my promise to redeem you is, is as good as finished. It's guaranteed. It's marked. It, you're, you're marked. You are, you are sealed. The Holy Spirit is your inheritance. It is, the, it is the thing that denotes that you are indeed mine. The, maybe the appropriate question is, well, what the heck does this have to do with Christmas? 
Like, okay, hope, great, good sermon on hope. What does it have to do with Christmas? Well, Christmas or Advent or however we want to talk about it now, right? This, this period of time where we are, we are waiting, we are, we are anticipating. It is, a, it is a season where we live in like this remembrance of the anticipation of Jesus coming, right? Christmas is the season where the moment where hope is no longer just this idea of wishful thinking. This idea of, oh, I hope that God saves us. Oh, I hope that God shows up. But the celebration of Christmas is the moment, right? where the promise of God to redeem all of creation is ratified in Jesus Christ. And God said, I will, I will redeem my creation. I will save my people. I will show up on their behalf. Christmas is the moment where Jesus on scene comes in the fulfillment of the promise of God, where a world so weary, so pained, so broken, can take this deep sigh of relief and say, our Savior is here. The Savior is here. I said we were kind of playing off of this phrase in the, the Christmas song, O Holy Night. Um, and the whole verse, right, that, it, that, that, um, that that line falls in, it says, it says this, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, right? Brokenness, darkness, despair, weariness. The world sits in sin and in error, and it pines. It pines for what? Until He appeared... And the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. In the midst of sin and error and pining, a Savior bursts on the scene and a new and glorious morn, a new and glorious day, a new and glorious reality is here. Hope is God saying, I promise and us saying, I believe you. I believe you. In the midst of the weariness of the world, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the sin and the error, in the midst of the pining. Lord, we believe you. I believe you. Over the next few weeks, you know, it seems like Christmas is like coming at us at breakneck speed, right? So we don't really have like four or five weeks to talk about hope in the Advent season. So in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about um, the hope that God, the hope that God gives us in the midst of the unknown. Like, 
We don't know what's ha- we don't know what's coming next, right? Like it's 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 kind of like a big joke. Oh, 2020. I wonder what's going to happen in 2021, right? It's kind of like this. Many a truth is said in jest, right? Where we don't know what's coming next. We can we can hope that it's going to be okay, right? have wishful thinking that it's going to be okay, or we can anchor ourselves to the promises of God. And if we, we anchor ourselves to the promise of God, we have real hope. We have, we have real hope because it's anchored to God's character. It's anchored to God's nature. It's not, it's not anchored to the wishful thinking that circumstances are going to be better. Our, our hope now is anchored to the nature and character of God, which, guess what, does not change. And that God has, God, has given us, God has given us promises in the midst of the unknown. That God has given us promises in the midst of our fear. God has given us, God has given us promises in the midst of tragedy. God has promised. And what God promises God does. And so let us, this Advent season, anchor our hope to the promises of God. Perhaps the most um, significant promise of God that we uh, we well, I guess I didn't read it, but I mentioned it in Romans. There's several um, verses within Paul's word or Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul said that God demonstrates his love for us in this that while you and I were still sinners Christ died for us the significance of this is is that we we may often fall into patterns of believing or thinking that that God's that God's sacrifice or that God's offer of forgiveness to us um, is is for good people, right? I gotta be like, just be good enough, and then I will have earned the sacrifice that God made on my behalf, and I can receive it, right? So, you ever you ever you ever talk to someone, or maybe you I like so. Many of you know that I, I teach at a martial arts gym, right? And um, probably when I'm trying to get new people to come to the gym and come and train with us, um, probably more than any other excuse, excuse, <laughs> kind of a Freudian slip there, uh, any other reason that they give me for not coming to the gym is, well, I just, you know, before I come and exercise with you, I really just need to get in shape. <laughs> right? Like, I'll come down and I'll get on the mats and I would really love to do that, but I'm so out of shape. So let me just get back in shape first and then I'll come to the place where you get people in shape. Okay? Um, Or it would be similar to saying, man, I am so sick. I don't feel good, whatever. I gotta really, I gotta feel better so I can go to the doctor and figure out what's wrong with me. No, you go to the gym to get in shape. You go to the doctor when you are sick to get healthy. Right? You come to the cross of Jesus not after you have tried to be good. Right? But in the midst of your sin. And Christ declares you good through His blood. Through His sacrifice through his work and death on the cross. It is the most un-American principle that you could possibly have, which is why we have such a difficult time receiving it. Right. Is that you gotta, 
you know, no such thing as a free lunch, right? You got to work for what you for what you get, right? No free handouts in life. Um, correction. <laughs> Christ actually does offer to you the free gift of salvation, the free gift of forgiveness. Not free to him, but free to you. It did cost something. There was a price to it. You just don't have to pay it. He paid it for you. Jesus Christ paid, he, he paid the price for you so that you don't have to pay it, so that you could just receive it by his grace. A gift given to you that you may not deserve, could not have earned, but it is, that is given to you freely. You know, God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's not waiting for you to get spiritually in shape. He's not waiting for you to get spiritually healthy before you come to receive the gift of salvation, to receive the gift of forgiveness that He offers you through Jesus Christ. He only says, come. Come and receive. Come and be made new. Come under my Lordship. Repent of your sins. Turn from darkness. Experience the light and freedom of Jesus Christ. Well, the promise to us, the hope that we have, is that what Christ has said, what God has said, is true. That all those who come and would receive will be called children of God. You probably thought that there was a loaf of bread and a cup under here, didn't you? <laughs> no. Sake. Sorry. COVID communion still. It's the best we can do, okay? But what have we said? What have we said the last, I don't know, five or six months that we've been taking communion this way? Is it this that matters? No. It is not the physical elements that matter, right? It is not a special type of bread or a special type of wine or a special type of juice or wafer or what whatever. It is the it is the spirit of the living God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, right? That, that lives in you, right? That is the power of the salvation. This does not save you, right? This, this does not save you. Jesus Christ saves you. And, 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 and this does not put anything special in you, right? Um, faith by Jesus Christ puts the special thing in you, the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, the seal, the deposit guaranteeing your redemption. So we take, we take this as a symbol of remembrance of the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus because it helps us to recall, or if it would be your first time, it helps us to receive the gift. It helps us to receive the reality. Gives us a tangible object lesson, if you will, of the sacrifice made on our behalf. The gift given on our behalf. Um, can I get just a, maybe two people to help me pass these out? Um, and then we'll talk about them. Anyway, yeah, sure, Jake. Yeah, Mike, thank you. I got some hand sanitizer up here if you want some. And we'll talk a little bit more about it.
I know I told you last month that that was going to be the last time that we used those. Well, we had another box bought already, so um, or use these. So we'll we'll use them until we use them up, and then we'll go back to regular stuff. Why don't we have the? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jake is here to serve you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have the worship team come back up here while we're getting these passed out. Another question that we're often asked here is, um, you know, can my can my child take communion? You know, can they, you know, if they don't if they don't fully understand what everything means, can they still participate and take communion? Listen, um, I've been studying theology professionally for the better part of two decades now. Um, I'm not sure I totally understand it. Okay. Uh, there is there is mystery wrapped up. There there is there is mystery wrapped up in um, the salvation that God offers to us. And and part of our life of faith is embracing the mystery of salvation as offered to us in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so and so yes, we say that that even children can embrace and receive the gift of God in Jesus Christ before they fully come to intellectual understanding of it because, um, listen, none of us have come to full intellectual understanding of the vast mystery of the salvation of of God. Um, And so, we offer... We, we consider, we call that an open communion table, right? Well, the, the communion table is not closed to anyone. Well, what if I've never been in church before? Um, would you like to be, would you like to receive by faith Jesus Christ as your Savior? Would you, would you, would you receive like the, this means of grace that he offers you in this moment, all right? You don't need to come to some intellectual understanding, understand 12, 12 points of theology or the five points of Calvinism or memorize the Apostles' Creed or know all the books of the Bible in, in order. Listen, Jesus, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you are still a sinner, you may partake in the remembrance and celebration of Christ's death for you. No matter where you come from, no matter what your background, no matter who you are, and I am hope-filled that God will meet you. That God will meet you wherever you are this morning. You can take the wafer. Jesus took a loaf of bread and he gave it, or he, he gave thanks to his heavenly Father for it. And then he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat of this, all of you. This is my body, which will be broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. And likewise, Jesus took a cup and he gave thanks to his heavenly Father for the cup. And then he gave the cup to his disciples saying, take and drink from this all of you. This is my blood which has been poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink in remembrance of me.
Heavenly Father, we remember the words of Scripture where Jesus offered His disciples a meal that would come to symbolize and signify the sacrifice that He makes on their behalf and on our behalf. Oh Lord, we take part in that meal this morning to also be reminded, Lord, that the body of Jesus Christ was broken on that cross. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed on that cross. Not as a gift to perfect people who have it all figured out. But to those, Lord, lost in the weariness of the world, in sin and error, pining, cry out for a Savior. That You would save us, Lord, when we are afraid. Save us in the midst of an unknown future. Lord, let us anchor our hope not to an unknown future, Lord, but to a known God. You have made Yourself known to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we receive this morning the grace of Jesus Christ. And may we sing, Holy are You. In Jesus' name, Amen. As always, the altars are open for prayer. If you would like me or someone else to pray with you, you're welcome to come up to this side over here. If you would like to pray by yourself, you can come up to this side over here. Let's stand and sing this morning. <laughs>